Um, we're going to jump right into our message. We are on week four. Let's move in. Um, of our series and fighting out of this corner. Uh, we're going to be actually in 1 Kings uh, today. We're going to look at a quick story that uh, probably most of us aren't real familiar with. It's in 1 Kings chapter 1. Um, and we're going to kind of, I'm going to kind of give you the, uh, the overlying idea and thought and kind of how the story goes. And then we're going to kind of look at the story and kind of look at uh, what's happening. But uh, today we're actually going to be talking about, and I, I told John as I walked up here, and I kind of felt bad. I should have warned him, um, and I didn't, so that's my fault, but we're going to be talking about the battle uh, this morning between pride and humbleness, and it's not that John is a prideful person, he's actually probably one of the least prideful people I know, uh, but obviously when we talk about pride and we talk about humbleness, obviously um, the, the guitars don't stay in key, and uh, we have humming in the... Um, and the monitors and all that fun sort of stuff, because basically sometimes I feel like God is like, I'm going to add to a little more uh, application to what's going to actually happen. But before we get into First Kings and chapter 1 in the story, uh, let's pray. Father, we love you and I need you. Father, I, I can't do this without you. I don't want to do this without you. You are great, you are strong, and you are mighty. And Father, I pray that you would just use me. God, make the words I say be the words you desire. Make it clear, understandable, excuse me, and applicable to our lives. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about these battles that we face, these things in our lives that we deal with that kind of war against each other. And kind of the idea here, of course, is, is, is being in a ring and being in a situation where these things are constantly battling. And one of the things that we battle against is this idea of pride versus humbleness. It is something that we deal with as a culture. It's something that we deal with as individuals. And we are very prideful culture. We, we actually have things that we do specifically to try to fool everybody to tell them how wonderful we are. Okay? We, we have these things. I, I, I even have seen recently as, as this was kind of happening as I was kind of, um, when I was a youth pastor, where we even have a prideful thing where, where uh, Facebook and, and Instagram was kind of this thing. And people, of course, would put their best pictures up. They would never take the picture and put it up on Facebook of them basically, you know, cleaning the house. It was always, they were going to, uh, you know, Europe or they were going to Hawaii and they had the pictures of them going there and all this stuff. And they looked beautiful and all these sort of things. And then even at the very end when I was paying attention to this sort of stuff it would like there would be girls that would take pictures of themselves without makeup why because they didn't need makeup they were showing them their true selves and I thought oh that's beautiful and so I kind of realized there was even some pride in that a little bit we deal with this a lot we focus on this a lot. Pride is something that we battle against. And it's something that, in my opinion, is really, in some ways, the root of all sin. You go back to the garden. You go back to the fall. What does the enemy tempt Adam and Eve really with? It's pride. God is keeping something from you. God doesn't want you to know everything. How do we see Satan fall? We see him fall by what? I will exalt myself above God. Pride is usually when you really kind of knock it all down. Pride really is sometimes the cause of sin. It's basically the sin of saying, I don't have to do what God says. I know better than he. So this is a big one. This is a big one that we have to focus in on. But in 1 Kings, the first chapter, I want to tell you a story. 
And in this story, we see some, some things that begin to take place and some things that we see some, some, some humility and we see some pride and we see the result of those things. In 1 Kings chapter 1, this is basically what's happened. David is very, very old. He's getting ready to die. The Bible says that he is, he is so old that he's not even quite, he can't even stay warm, basically. And his fourth son, a guy named, and I've been working on this all week, trying to remember how to say this. His name is Adonijah. Adonisha. No, that's right. Adonisha. Adonisha is his fourth son. And Adonisha knows that his father is getting old. So basically in 1 Kings chapter 1, he decides that he should be king. He decides that he should be the one who takes over the throne and begins to do things to make that happen in his life. He begins to gather people around him. It says that he gathers chariots and charioteers all around him and he begins to exalt himself as king over Israel. Now, the problem with that is that God, back in 2 Chronicles, has already spoken, already told David that Solomon is going to be king. But he doesn't care about that. He's not interested in that. He basically says, I'm going to be king. I'm wonderful. I'm all that in a bag of chips. So he does that. He begins to have a party for himself. I mean, li- listen, that's interesting to me. You know, it's like, it's like I, I, last couple of weeks, we've been going to graduation parties. And that is great. And that is fun. And it's fun to celebrate those individuals. But the thing is, with those kids, their parents threw the party. Okay? If you're throwing parties for yourself, that's a little strange to me. But he throws a party for himself. And he basically says, I'm wonderful. And he's, he's announcing himself as being king. Now, he doesn't invite a couple of very important people. He doesn't invite Nathan the prophet. He doesn't invite some of the priests. And he especially doesn't invite, invite Solomon. Now, that's very important to understand. Because this is basically like a coronation type of situation. The reason he doesn't invite those individuals, as I was looking at this this week, is basically a sign that at the the earliest convenience, he was going to go and he was going to kill all those people. He was going to take them out. Because some of the other David's sons were invited. And so David hears about this. Bathsheba, who is Solomon's mother, goes to him and says, Hey, didn't you promise this to us? Didn't God say this to you? And David's like, absolutely. What's going on? And so basically, to make the long story short, David basically takes his son, takes him down, anoints him as king. Basically, they begin to raise an army just in case there's a fight. And basically, this cry goes up. Everybody's at Adonijah's party. Getting have it, having a great time. All of a sudden, they hear the entire country basically begin to go crazy and excited about Solomon being king. Everybody hears that Solomon's king, that David has basically installed him as king. And everybody, of course, leaves the party really, really quickly. And basically, his kingdom, Adonijah's kingdom, comes to a very, very quick close. And basically, Solomon's kingdom is established. And as you get into chapter 2, some other things begin to happen, obviously, um, because of some of Adonijah's continual pride and continual actions, Solomon eventually has to order his death. And pride eventually costs him not just his kingdom, but his life. 
And, and there's a lot of differences here between these two brothers. They're both raised in the same household. They both, of course, had the same father. But in this, we see an individual who had pride, who looked at himself and began to exalt himself to a place, and another one who allowed God to do that. As I put in my notes, I want to look at this, and sometimes I don't read exactly from them, but, but I would like to read something I wrote. And it says basically this, Adonijah claims the throne, but Solomon gets it. Adonijah is self-manufactured. He's self-appointed. He builds his own army. He's blinded by his own arrogance. He rebels against God and even his father. But Solomon allows it to be God-orchestrated, God-appointed. His father gives him this. He doesn't rebel against his father. It is the throne is, is given to him. For that, And then, of course, in a beautiful act of humility and understanding, later on, I think in chapter 3, we, maybe 2, I don't remember, 3 or 2, God basically says, uh, or chapter 3, Solomon asks God for wisdom in this, unact, this, in this, this act of humbleness. And, and what I'd like to do this morning in the short time that we have left is look at some truths from this story. I feel like there's some three truths that we can take from this story to apply to our lives in the battle between pride and humbleness. And the first one is this. Number one, pride destroys our heart. Humbleness develops our faith. Look at James, the third chapter. We're going to look at this. James is a beautiful book of the Bible. If you've never read James, I want to encourage you to do it. Some people have actually called James the Proverbs of the New Testament. James is very, uh, a wonderfully written book and with a lot of really good insight and application things that we can look at. But this is what it says. It says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, okay? So if you understand God's ways and are wise, prove it. By living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Okay? So we have one side this, and now we see the other side. But if you are bitterly jealous, and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. And then let's continue on in verse number 15. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kinds of wisdom. Such things, now check this out, such things are earthly unspiritual, and just to make sure we drive the point in, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. James is not mixing his words here. He's very clear on what he's saying. But the wisdom that is above, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Let's look at Proverbs, the 18th chapter. It says this in 18.12. Haughtiness goes before destruction and humility precedes honor. Pride will destroy you. You think, you know, sometimes we, I don't know if you do this. I know I do, unfortunately, at times, is we begin to kind of, Put sin on, on, a, on, on kind of a, they're, they're, this sin is here, and this sin's worse, and this sin's worse, and this sin's worse. And sometimes pride is kind of one of those, pride is almost to people, it's almost like that little white lie kind of sin. It's not really that big of a deal. James here is very clear. He's calling it earthly. He's calling it demonic. 
Why is he calling it demonic? Because we see it in Satan's life. We see it in the way he responded to the very presence of God. It'll destroy you. You don't think it will. You think you can handle it. You think you can do it. The thing with pride is this. You know what I see about pride? Is, is you ever had somebody come up to you and say, and I think you'll know where I'm going with this? It's basically, how, I went fishing. Oh, really? Did you catch a fish? Yes, I caught a fish this big. You know what I find with pride? And when that gets into our hearts and begins to affect us, guess what the fish has to be the next time we tell the story? Eventually, we're catching whales. That is not sustainable. That is not what we need to be doing. That puts us in a place that will destroy us. It will literally destroy us from the inside out because pride has the opportunity to do that. But humbleness develops our faith. Humbleness helps us understand that we need Jesus. That it isn't all about us. That it really is about God working through us and in us and doing something to us, which is a beautiful thing. So pride destroys us. It destroys our heart. And humbleness develops our faith. Number two, this is an easy one. We see this a lot. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Look at, look at Proverbs 27. It says, let someone else praise you. Not your own mouth, a stranger, not your own lips. And then, of course, 1 Peter 5, 5, the one that we're taking this from. And all of you, dress yourself in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you don't, that's cool. You know, if you got your, your phone, you can use, you know, you're looking at the verses in your phone. You can highlight. I want you to highlight the word opposes. Because this is a word that I truly believe God is using here on purpose. This is not God not being happy with it. This is God not being, eh, it's okay, it's, not, it's that little while. God here is literally saying that he will oppose you in your pride. An opposed person, if you're opposing something, you are literally working against them. Okay? Everybody, you know, here in a couple months, football is going to start and everybody's going to be watching football and you're going to be talking about your team and I'm going to be talking about my team and we're going to ask each other, well, who is your team playing? Basically, we're asking, who is opposing your team today? One day, very, very soon, my team is going to be playing most of your teams and we're going to talk about it and it's going to be ugly and you're going to be sad when your team loses. It's going to be great. I'm sorry, I shouldn't go there because my team's going to lose and then you're going to kill me, Okay. But basically, our teams are going to oppose each other. My team is going to fight to beat your team, and your team is going to fight to beat my team. That's how it works. Listen, I want you to think about something for a second. Do you really want God to oppose you? Because here's the thing. God, when he opposes you, wins 100% of the time. Okay? This is not... The little, oh, it's just a little bit of pride. No, God says here he will oppose you in your pride. Because he understands how big this really is. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When I was in junior high, oh, that was a fun time, wasn't it? Junior high. When you're, when you're in junior high for me, I don't know, I'm not sure, I've talked to a couple people. You know, middle school, you know, 6th, 7th, and 8th. Junior high was 7th and 8th. And I was in 8th grade. And I remember this, this, this happening, and it was, it, was, it was horrible and terrible and, and embarrassing, but you get to hear the story. And, and basically, we were, I was at school, and we had a, an area that was basically kind of the cafeteria, but they could move all the tables out of the way and use it for other things. And so I was there. It was, it was in the fall, and, and I, was, I was at school after school one day, and, and the cheerleaders 
were in this area practicing. Okay, we were on, you know, I was, don't laugh, I was on the football team, and, and so I had come and I was kind of friends with a couple of the cheerleaders, but not all of them, but there was one in particular, and her name was Stacy, and she was beautiful. And I was so, I was like, oh, Stacy's here, you know, and so I had to be as cool as humanly possible, because that's what you do, you know. And so they were doing flips, they were doing cheerleader stuff. And so I'm watching them, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm just, you know, trying to be as cool as I possibly can, you know. And so I'm watching them do all these flips. And so they're, I'm like, hey, what's going on? And we're talking. And somebody says, you know, I'm going to do this flip. I said, oh, well, that didn't look that hard. I'm sure I can do a flip. Now, I want to kind of give you an idea of the flooring before we continue. Um, it was, it was kind of like, as weird as it sounds, it was almost like lay, people had laid bricks down. They weren't like bricks, but kind of that, that look, okay? So it's like you had the brick and then the grout and things like that. But this was not a floor that gave at all. And so I said, I can do a flip, no problem. And so, of course, somebody says, well, do it. And I'm like, oh, they're going to be so impressed. You know, Stacy's going to be so impressed. He's going to be like, wow, you know, this guy, he can do it all. He can do flips. And I, you know, I'm kind of bust, you know, and so I'm going to do a flip. So I begin the flip. Now, I watched them, and I thought, this, how hard can it be? You just, you just kind of run up, you push up, and then you land on your feet. I, I, I did great until the landing part. And I landed, but not on my feet. And so you get this picture. It was run, 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 flip, and then flat on my back. I mean flat. I mean, not like I hit first. I mean, it was like first thing that hit was like tailbone back. And if you know anytime that happens to you, of course, you get the, the wind knocked out of you. So now I'm sitting, laying on the ground. Of course, all these girls have gone, you know, and I'm laying there and I'm going, Jesus, if you want to come back right now, this would be an awesome moment for you to do that. And I am, I'm just sitting there and I'm like, nope, he ain't coming, you know, and I'm like, and they're like, are you okay? You know, I got five girls around. Are you okay? And I'm just like, and I can't talk. I'm just trying to breathe. And I mean, I am so embarrassed. I am, I'm just, I'm like, oh, fine. Pride comes before the fall. And sometimes, spiritually speaking, we can land hard on our back. And sometimes that's why God opposes us so much. Sometimes we say, I can do this flip, God. I can do that. I got it. I can impress all these people. I can show them how great and wonderful and spiritual I am. And God literally comes and says, uh, no, that's not going to happen. I'm going to remove you from this situation or take this. Take, I'm going to help you out of this so you don't end up there. Sometimes we have to understand that God's opposing us is not a punishment. It is literally a protection because it keeps us from laying on our back. It keeps us from hurting ourselves. It keeps us from hurting others. So God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And number three, humbleness says, I can't, but I trust you will. Humbleness says, I can't, but I trust you will. Look at John 5, 5, or 15, 5. Jesus says this. He says, yes, I am the vine, 
You are the branches. Here what Jesus is doing is he's giving us an understanding and a picture of this situation. He says, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, now check this out, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We have nothing that we can be prideful about because everything in us, everything that is given to us, everything about us has been given to us by our Father because He loves us, because He loves to do those things. But we have to understand, apart from Him, we can do nothing. Let me, let me help you understand something that I'm, I'm learning slowly as, as I hopefully get to know Jesus more. The more I get to know Jesus, hopefully, the way to hopefully say this is the, as I mature and grow in him, I am learning something. I need him more. If you think the purpose of maturing and growth is so that you will need God less, you are misunderstanding how this thing works. As I am coming to understand Jesus and understanding who he is and who I am, I am understanding I need him more than I have ever needed him. Our growth is to expand our understanding so that we understand apart from him, we can do nothing. Listen, we can have all the dreams and hopes for our individual lives and for this church and for all this community, but we've got to understand apart from God, we can do nothing. Apart from God, those who labor without God labor in vain. We have to understand that. And just to drive this point home, we have this unbelievable expression of it in the life of Jesus We see how Jesus was able to do this, and it helps us to see what we need to do. So let's continue. In Philippians 2, 3 through 11, we see this. As Jesus begins to say, listen, I know this isn't easy. I know it's something we deal with. Let me show you how. And Paul writes this just so beautifully with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says this. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather... In humility, value others above yourself. Can we just stop there for just a second? Can you imagine, just for a second, in your own personal life, in the life of your family, in the life of your friends, in the life of your work, in the life of everything that you touch, in the life of this church, if we did that, how things would change? I just want you to just think about that. So I can think about it. Because quite honestly... I do a lot of things out of selfish ambition. I do a lot of things that are best for Aaron at times. And sometimes we need to do a better job. I need to do a better job of putting others before myself. Not looking to your own interests, but the interest, uh, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ. Now let's stop here, okay? And, and, and Steve, we're going to go just in just a second. Basically, what Paul is doing is, is he's helping us understand this is the meat, okay? This is where he's saying this was the mindset of Jesus. You want to be like Jesus? You're going to act like Jesus? You have the mind of Jesus. You're going to follow his path and follow his plan. So now Paul is going to lay out how Jesus was able to basically not have selfish ambition, look at others above himself. Got it? 
Okay, now let's continue on with verse number 6. So having the same mindset of Christ. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And let's continue with verse number 8. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Okay? Because he does this, now we have therefore. Okay? Therefore. I I remember being told when I was in school, whenever you see a therefore, find out what it's there for. Okay? So therefore... Because he's done all those things, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Number 10. There. Nope. I guess we get stopped there. Okay, that's fine. So here's what we're doing. My fault. I probably did that wrong. There it is. Okay. Thank you. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, here's what I want to do. And this is in your notes so you can see this. Basically, what I kind of looked at this is kind of like Jesus. And maybe I should come up here to do this. Jesus begins in his humility to begin to step down. Okay, usually when we think about pride, we see people kind of stepping up, okay, does that make sense? And basically in this, we see Jesus beginning to step down. So basically what he starts is, is this, and now we can continue on to the next slide where it says basically this. First of all, he made himself nothing. And we're just taking this straight out of the scripture. He made himself nothing. Next, he took on the nature of a servant. Now remember how this starts. This starts with being in the very nature of God. And then we see... He humbled himself, and now I'm out of steps, but you get what I'm saying. He humbled himself, and finally he was obedient. Therefore, because he defeated pride in his own life, because therefore he was able to say in the garden, God, not my will, but yours be done. Because he cared about us and loved us, even unto death. Because he did that, now God begins to respond. And now we see God beginning to raise him up. So God exalts him. He gives him the greatest name. He is Christ the Lord. And why does he do all of these things? For the glory of God. Listen, you need to ask yourself this question as we kind of bring this to a close. Are you setting yourself up Or are you allowing God to set you apart? Are you setting yourself up? Or are you allowing God to set you apart? Are you willing to take the steps of humility? Are you willing to be obedient? Are you willing to be a servant? Are you willing to do these things? Because you trust that God will do his part too. Now here's what's awesome. Jesus didn't do the things on mm, your right, no, your left, to get the stuff on your right. You have to understand that. Jesus did these things because he loved his father and because he loved us. So these things were not done to get other things. These things were done because he loved. We do these things Because we love our Father. 
because we love each other. And when we do, when we humble ourselves, when we realize we need Jesus and we can't do this on our own, then God begins to exalt. God begins to do His part. Why? Why? For the glory of God. All of it goes back to Him. It's not so you can sit there and say, look how wonderful I am. It's not so you can sit there and say, look at this or look at that. Look at this. It's so you can understand that everything is to God's glory. Everything. Here's what's amazing. We, we, we had, you know, I think we can be honest here. We had a little stuff didn't work quite right. You know, this stuff, this, this stuff is awesome when it works. But every once in a while, it doesn't work so well. Every once in a while, it doesn't. But here's what's amazing. Even though that didn't work, we had an encounter with Jesus. You know why? Because God doesn't, God doesn't need this stuff to touch our hearts. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's really easy, especially, let's just be honest, in our culture, to let this stuff become the focus. To let this stuff, man, we play good, and man, we play awesome, and we sing perfectly, and blah, blah, blah. And look, look, don't misunderstand me. I think we should give our best to Jesus. We should do the best that we can. But we cannot allow this or or this to become the focal point the focal point is him it will always be him because he deserves the glory because he has given us the gifts that we use for him this is a big deal folks this is something that can creep in. And it's funny because it's one of those things, as the worship team wants us to come on back up, it's one of those things that is really, as weird as this sounds, and maybe it isn't weird, it's, it's one of those things that is sometimes hard to see in ourselves, but really easy to see in others. And so because of that, that's kind of part of its like, like horribleness, is, is because it's so easy to see in everybody else, we tend to focus on everybody else. And we forget. We forget that we deal with this too. We forget that sometimes we get puffed up, and sometimes we want to exalt ourselves over these things. And when we do, we begin to lose this battle. And when we do, God begins to oppose us. But remember again, He doesn't oppose us because He's mad at us. He doesn't oppose us because He's, 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 he's frustrated with us. He opposes us because He loves us. Simple, easy illustration that we can all understand. If there's a street and it's busy, what is it? I, I, I'm still trying to remember all the street names. This is 120th out here. Busy road. If my son came to me and said, Dad! How you doing? Good son, what's going on? I am going to run and play in 120th Street. I'm going to run, like I'm not going to pay attention to nothing, and I'm just going to go have myself a great old time. Just so you know, I will be opposing my son. I will be opposing him in a very strong way. If, 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 if he does not 
If opposing him with words is not enough, I will grab him. I will hold him. I will not let him go. Why? Because I'm dead? Because I can? No, because I love my son. This is a big deal, folks. God opposes you because he loves you. He opposes you because he knows what pride leads to. You know what it leads to? The destruction of everything. I could have gone back to Genesis. I could have gone back and we could have read that story about the pride that began to well up in Adam and Eve's heart. Satan comes and he doesn't he doesn't tempt them with the things that you may have thought that maybe he comes with pride. God's keeping something from you. You could be like God, knowing good from evil. It'll destroy everything. You want the perfect example? Think of the perfection of God's creation. Eden. God looks and he says, it's good. Man and woman walking with God, being with the Father. Everything's perfect. Just the way God wants it. And then pride hits and everything's destroyed. Now, thankfully, because of Jesus, all things are being made new and all things are being restored. So just like me, if you're dealing with pride and you're fighting that battle, you know what? God can restore everything back. In the song that we sung this morning, God can take those broken things, that brokenness, and make it beautiful. You know, I think of brokenness, I think of humbleness. I think of being at the end of our rope. I I, I feel that it's that moment where we got nothing left. And we call out to our Father, we say, Jesus, help. And in that moment, in our weakness, God is strong. So we're going to conclude with a worship song. But before we do, I'd just like to pray. And if you're battling with this, as, as in, my, in my mind, probably the majority of us are, if we're just honest. We need God to take that brokenness inside of us and make something beautiful, and He always does. He always does. And when that happens, it'll be so much more beautiful than anything you could, could ever create. So, Father, we come to you right now. And Father, we don't want to be like like Adonijah. We don't want to exalt ourselves. We don't want to claim something that doesn't belong to us. We don't want to say it's all about me. We want to be like Solomon. We want to let you exalt us to that place. Yes, Father, we want to be a part of what you're doing and we should be. But Father, your word is littered with people who quite honestly, in our human brains, we wouldn't have picked. We could go over name after name after name and say, God, why'd you pick them? And in your wisdom, you did. In your wisdom and in your provision and in your plan, you brought them to the place that we look at today and go, wow, wow. 
And God, you want to do that with us. You want to help us to understand that you love us and that you want to use us. But you will oppose us in our pride. When it becomes about us, you will oppose us. You do not share your glory with anything or anyone, nor should you. Because all praise and honor and glory is yours. But Father, in our own hearts, in our own lives, Father, we need your help to win this battle. We need your help to defeat the pride that we deal with on a daily basis. When we want to exalt ourselves, when we want to say how great we are, Father, instead, instead, let us glory and let our hope be in you. Let us understand that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Let us understand that everything we have is because of you and your great love, because you love us so much. And Father, I pray that, Father, we as a congregation, we as a family, would do so well complimenting each other and praising each other that we have no need to praise ourselves. That we would do such a great job coming up to each other and say, man, boy, you did a great job leading worship today. Man, man, I saw you with that little kid and that was awesome. You made a difference today. The Father, those things would be what we celebrate. Those things would be, we would be throwing parties for each other, not for ourselves. And Father, we need your help to do it. So change us, mold us, do something in us that we desperately need because this is a big deal and we need you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.